called Families Are Messy, and uh, hopefully you've been enjoying it. I've made the comment before that it's sometimes kind of, I don't know, fun to look at people more screwed up than me, so that <laughs> it just makes us feel better about us, right? But it's true, though. When you look at the Bible and you look at some of the stories of the patriarchs, the fathers of our faith and their families, you see a lot of mess. And uh, today we're going to look at one of those stories in Jacob's life. Jacob uh, worked for his father-in-law. And he, well, I probably shouldn't ask because this is going to really kind of delve into family stuff like that. So uh, if you work for your father-in-law, good. <laughs> Didn't work out for Jacob. And uh, his father-in-law's name was Laban. And Laban was this kind of unscrupulous, controlling, manipulative deceiver. Sounds like the kind of boss you want, right? And Jacob was so tired of working for him that he finally said in, Ge in Genesis 30, if you have a Bible or your iPhone or read, read uh, on the screen up here, Jacob finally said to Laban, please release me so I can go home to my own country. Let me take my wives and children, for I have earned them by serving you. And let me be on my way. You certainly know how hard I've worked for you. Now, anyone here have a job that you can remember in your mind as kind of that job from hell, that job you hated, that job that sucked the zippity out of your doodah? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody remember that job? <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm in it today. <laughs> I remember when I was 16, my first job really is kind of the one I hate the most. I was a dishwasher for a restaurant called Nantucket Lobster Trap. And they would fly in these lobsters from Maine, and they would boil them. And the whole kitchen just smelled all the time like boiling lobster. And I was the dishwasher where all the steam happened, and they didn't know my name. My name was Dish. That's what they called me, literally. They didn't want to know my name, Dish. So whenever we would have a conversation, they would start it with, what do you want, Dish? And, and, and I hated this job. One of the things I hated most is at the very end of the night, the cooks and the waiters, it's like they had this conspiracy against Dish and they would save up all of the pots and the pans and the grease traps and all the boiling water and the scum in the boiling water that they boiled lobsters all night long and they would wait till the very end of the night when they were ready to go and drink a beer and they would slam it on my table and they would go have fun with that dish. Now, I hated that job until I became the cook and then I ended up doing the same thing to the next dish. I know, it's bad. I wish I wouldn't have now. But maybe you remember the job you hated the most. Now picture that job with your dad or your mom as your boss or your uncle or your step parent. I mean, it's one thing to have a bad job. It's another to then mix the whole family equation into your job as well. That's what Jacob was dealing with. He had worked for his, fa his father-in-law for 14 years with no pay. Anybody signing up for that? 14 years. 
And I wish that I could tell you that it's, that was all there was to it, but it's really kind of screwy what happened here. What happened is, is that Jacob is related, right? So he moves to this country and he wants to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel. She is a beauty queen. She was the prom queen. She was gorgeous. And he was attracted to her. He loved her with his whole heart. And so the deal that he had worked out with Laban was Laban said, you got to work seven years, no pay. And then I'll give you Rachel. Well, on the wedding night, on the wedding night, after the party, after the wedding, they go into their tent. It's dark. You know what happens in a tent on the wedding night. <laughs> what happens is that Laban sends in his other daughter, Leah. And Jacob, now I don't understand this. I don't even want to understand it. But he has sex with the wrong woman and doesn't know it. Wakes up in the morning with a surprise. Whoa! There's Leah, not quite as good looking as Rachel, um, I don't think. I think that's what the scripture infers. And he was freaked out, runs out of the tent, talks to Laban, and says, what did you do? And Laban says, oh, yeah, you noticed a small change, huh? <laughs> we always marry off the older one first, so she's yours now. And you can have Rachel, the one you thought you were working for, if you work another seven years for me. So he does. He sticks around. He works another seven years, ends up with two wives when he really only wanted one. And you think your family's messed up. <laughs> so Jacob was tricked by this, by, by this uh, father-in-law. 14 years, he works for no pay. But he ends up with these two wives. Jacob is just wanting to leave at this point, right? And so he goes to Laban and he says, I'm just, I'm out of here. I'm spent. I've had it. And Laban, being the kind of the conniver, the negotiator that he is, talks him into staying for another six years. Another six years, but this time with some pay. And the pay would be some of his flocks. See, Jacob not only had this bad business relationship with his father-in-law, but he's also not treated as a son. He's treated more like a slave. As a matter of fact, the, in the Hebrew language, what Jacob is saying is, I've been slaving for you like a slave. I get no appreciation, no thanks, no recognition. It's a horrible job. Look at verse 27. It says, Laban is saying this. He says, please listen to me. See, you can hear him trying to negotiate again here. I have become wealthy for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me how much I owe you. Whatever it is, I'll pay you. Jacob replied, you know how hard I've worked for you and how your flocks and herds have grown under my care. You had little indeed before I came, but your wealth has increased enormously. The Lord has blessed you through everything I've done. But now, what about me? When can I start providing for my own family? Here Laban, Laban is. He's not thinking about God. He doesn't really care about God. But he notices that the golden goose, Jacob, is tired of him and ready to leave. And so he's doing whatever he can 
to keep him in play and keep him there. Laban had become wealthy at Jacob's expense, and Laban's afraid of losing this incredibly great employee. Not so much about the fact that he's his son-in-law, but about the prophets that are represented here. And on the in inside, Jacob is just stewing. He's, he's seething, he's upset, and he vents behind closed doors to his wife. And he says in verse six, you know how hard I've worked for your father, but he has cheated me, changing my wages 10 different times. Laban, Laban really should have been taking some of the money that Jacob had been working for without pay and putting it aside for his daughters for their inheritance. But instead, he was using it to eat, try and increase his own profits and using it on himself. You see, he not only treated Jacob like a slave, but he treated his own daughters that way. Some of the biggest hurts that come into the lives of families can happen through family businesses. I said can, doesn't mean they have to or that they always do, but they can and often do and through inheritances. Those are the two of the biggest ways that misunderstandings, hurts, sibling rivalries, and uh, normally people feel, someone feels cheated, someone feels favored, someone else is always trying to control or manipulate the situation. And those are some of, it's the most tragic and some of the saddest. If you talk to lawyers who work on estates, they will tell you that that the biggest hurts they've seen over and over and over again happen often through um, ill-planned inheritances. Laban is a manipulator. He's a shrewd negotiator and he's a cheat, but he's not stupid. He knew that Jacob was a key to his prospering. Look back in Genesis 30 verse 27. Laban said, uh, I have become wealthy for the Lord has blessed me because of you. See, Laban understood this about Jacob. Do, do, at your work, at your place of employment, did you know that God can work through you in such a way that you actually become one of the most valuable employees at your place of employment? Through your work ethic, through the skills that you develop, through your character, and through the blessing of God in and through your life. God can bless an ungodly business through a godly person. It's really incredible how that works and what a good thing it is that uh, when you're working to be praying for the success of those that you're working for, even if they're not deserving of it, because God can give you a platform to be able to minister through the quality of your work. Let me ask you the question, is there anybody in your life right now that you have an ongoing conflict with in your family, or maybe at work or a friend, but especially in your family? I'm not talking about one that has been kind of brewing for three or four months. I mean something that's been going on for 10 or 20 years. Do you have something there? And if you do, and if you're a Christian, the chances are you've been praying over that, and you've been praying for years over that. 
you probably started praying for them and praying that God would change them. And then that didn't happen. And so you began to pray for you and you began to pray for your own life. And as you prayed and you prayed for God to change the situation, it hasn't changed yet. Where is God in our relational messes? That's the very thing that Jacob was wondering. You see, he had been working for 20 years in this, in this environment. Now, God finally releases Jacob from employment. And can you imagine that happy day in Jacob's life? I mean, boom, pop the top on the champagne. I'm out of here. But the cool thing about Jacob is that he waited on God. He Think how many times he could have packed his bags and left. But instead, he listened to God. He waited for God's green light. Not just the fact that he didn't like something, not just the fact that there was conflict, not just the fact that he was being taken advantage of, but he was listening to God and he waited on God. And that convicts me. And the reason that convicts me is because I'm not very patient at all. I mean, I get impatient waiting at the microwave over two minutes, <laughs> you know, for the bell to ding. And I'm like, why did I pick popcorn setting when all I needed was one minute? I get impatient waiting for my toast to pop up. I get impatient living in the huge metropolis of Spokane, Washington, when I'm on Maple Street at six o'clock on that bridge. Rush hour traffic and I'm waiting 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm impatient. It's hard for me to wait for God. Waiting on God to change something, waiting on God to intervene, waiting on God to release me from something that I long to be released from because I'm a product of this culture and so are you. Just because God hasn't answered your prayer yet doesn't mean he's not at work. See, God's not on your timetable. He's not in a rush, but God is at work. God's at work in you. God's at work in other people. We just can't always see it, but he's at work and he loves to restore. He loves to restore relationships. God is the one who restores our soul. And the scripture says through the prophet Joel, listen to this, he said, I will restore the years that the locust has eaten. And this prophetic utterance through Joel to Judah is this prophecy that yeah, you've sinned, you blew it a lot, but I'm gonna restore something that you don't even deserve and you can't even figure out how to make happen, but I'm gonna restore years back to you. Did you know God can do that? That he has the ability to restore things that nobody else can restore? He has the ability to give you back wasted years? I think of my friend Jeff Schramm, who's with the Lord now. He, he and I were actually born in the same year in 1961, and he uh, passed away about two years ago. Um, or three, two to three years ago. And uh, Jeff uh, came to our life group. We were close friends for years and years. And he had spent a lot of his life believing in God, but just keeping God at arm's length. He was a su successful contractor. He was uh, this guy just filled with energy and adventure, uh, a strong and generous person, but he also kind of just kept God at arm's length until his life 
began to spin out of control through addiction and through other things that came into his life, some really bad choices, and he ended up losing his wife, Jody, um, losing their marriage, losing his family, losing his business, losing everything. He ended up in jail. And in that place, Jeff cried out to God. And he asked God to forgive him. And he asked God to come in and begin to lead him. And he declared his dependence on God. And it wasn't just some kind of, you know, SOS thing in a bad situation and you cry out really quick and then you don't change. No, he was all in. And he began to live his life different. He began to get connected here at North Church. He began to connect in relationships. He began to serve in ministry. He opened up his property to our men's retreats. He, he just, for those of you who knew him in, in those last seven or eight years, I mean, he was a completely different person. And, 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 and God began to restore things that had, he, he himself through bad choices had lost. He didn't win back his wife, Jody, but God provided this other amazing woman, Julie, as this godly Christian woman in his life. And God, and she had two beautiful daughters and he won his, his, the friendship of Jody back and he won his daughters back and he got his business going again and God blessed it to where he couldn't even keep up with it within a year and a half from the complete bottom to the place where he was living an abundant life, filled life. And those last seven or eight years, which were the seven or eight years that he walked with God were just amazing times where God just heaped on him blessing and restored things that the enemy had stolen. See, God has a way of doing things that you cannot do on your own. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of healing. He's a God that can take relationships that are messed up and burned out and he can change the trajectory. He's still doing that in our families today. And I wanna encourage you with faith that God can still do that in your life and in your family. And sometimes you think, well, it's impossible. How can God do that? You don't know my situation. You don't know how complicated it is. And I don't. But I know this about God. God heals and God restores. And God can restore even years back to our life. How does he do that? Well, let me give you a couple things just from the story we're in, looking at the life of Jacob and Laban. The first step in healing is in a relationship is that we've got to verbalize the hurt. We've got to verbalize where the offense is. We've got to verbalize. We've got to get the courage together to have the difficult conversation that we've been avoiding for maybe years. Look at Jacob standing in front of Laban, this man who had uh, power and authority and kind of control issues over him. And Jacob finally stands up, and he had never said this yet before to Jacob or to Laban, but he finally says it in Genesis chapter 31, verse 38. He says, for 20 years... I've been with you, caring for your flocks. And in all that time, your sheep and your goats never miscarried. In all those years, I've never used a single ram of yours for food. And if any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the carcass and asked you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken broad daylight or in the dark of night. And I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through the cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years I slaved in your house. I worked for 14 years earning your two daughters and then six more years for your flock and you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty handed. 
but God has seen your abuse and my hard work, and that is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. That's some honest conversation. You're getting to the point, getting to the hurt, bringing up the facts. He's not just slinging insults. He's going through facts, and he's going through how it has affected him. It starts with an honest conversation. Who is it in your life? You've been avoiding to have that conversation. And you've dealt with, the way you've dealt with it is that I'll just avoid them. So if I'm in Costco and that person comes in, I'll just go down the other aisle. And I'll just spend the rest of my life trying to avoid them rather than having the difficult conversation and addressing the elephant in the room. And let me just say, you have to quit running from that. You have to quit hiding behind dishonesty and, and fear and be willing to be relationally honest and be willing to do that because that's the beginning process of restoration. If it's to happen, it often happens through the beginning of someone getting honest, someone having that difficult conversation. Jacob in these 20 years had never said those kinds of things. He vented all the time to his wives but he never actually said what needed to be said. Now Jacob's experience, along with Laban, uh, is maybe like a lot of our experiences, and it's probably the very reason that you're thinking, I would never want to do that, because it probably wouldn't work out exactly have a, as I have in my mind, and you're probably right. And here's what happened to Jacob. Laban says in verse 43, Laban replied to Jacob, these women are my daughters. These children, they're my grandchildren. And these flocks are my flocks. In fact, everything you see is mine. What can I do now about my daughters and their children? That sounds like a repentant reply. That sounds like he really agreed with everything Jacob said. No, he didn't. We're talking about an event that happened in their lives, and they saw it completely different. And just because you get honest and just because you bring it up and just because you do the hard work of initiating and being courageous doesn't mean the person will agree with you. They may have their own perspective. And that's exactly what happened here. Jacob's going, look how you cheated me. Look how I've slaved for you. Look at all my hard work. And Laban's thinking, you had nothing when you came to me. I gave you everything. I gave you my daughters. And the business prosperity you have is because of me and because of my flocks. I gave you an opportunity nobody else would give you. A total difference of opinion. And it may go that way. But here's what they did do. Here's what they did do, even though they saw it differently. And sometimes you will see it different than the person you have a conflict with. And sometimes the right thing to do is just come to the point to say, you know what? You see it this way, I see it this way. Let's agree to disagree and let's quit hurting each other. Let's just quit the stupid game of avoiding and hurting each other. Laban says this in verse 44 through 48. He said, so come. Laban did this. Come, let's make a covenant, you and I, and it will be a witness to our commitment. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a monument. Then he told his family members, gather some stones. So they gathered stones, they piled them up in a heap. And then Jacob and Laban sat down beside the pile of stones to eat a covenant meal to commemorate the event. Laban called the place 
Jagger Sahudutha, we'll go with that, which means witness pile in Aramaic. And Jacob called it Gali, which means witness pile in Hebrew. Then Laban declared, this pile of stones will stand as a witness to remind us of the covenant we have made today. This explains why it was called Gali. Now, they made a covenant to quit hurting each other. They made a covenant to not attack each other. It didn't mean they got everything resolved. It didn't mean that they agreed on how the events of their life went. It just means that they said, you know, let's stop the lawsuits. Let's stop our need to attack each other to other family members. Let's stop the angry texts. Let's stop hurting each other. We may not see, each, see things from the same vantage point, but we can surely stop hurting each other. Now, oftentimes that's about where a, a very difficult, complicated, convoluted relationship might, might, might stay, but that's not a bad place, is it? To be where we're not hurting each other, where we're there to, to, to not avoid each other, where we're there to at least have some resemblance of a relationship, and that's as far as they could take it in their situation. But let me say that God wants it to go further than that, if we're willing. God wants to bring something called reconciliation. Reconciliation. And that means that one person is often the initiator to say, hey, let's go beyond just not hurting each other. Let's actually redefine the relationship and grow it deeper. And, and that is normally initiated by one, but it has to be agreed on by both. It can be initiated by one, but both have to cooperate and want it together where it won't happen. If you really want to move toward reconciliation in the healing of a relationship, then it means that both people want that and both people do the work that it takes to go there and get that. Jesus Christ is the great reconciler. Jesus, God's one and only son, came from heaven to earth to live in our shoes, to have flesh and blood, to understand our weaknesses. He hung out with sinners. He ate with prostitutes and tax gatherers. He didn't agree with them all, but he understood them. And he lived as a reconciler to draw us back to God. And even though Jesus initiated that reconciliation, you have to respond to it. I have to respond to it in order for it to be completed. Jesus is the great reconciler. So if someone is reaching out in your life and wanting things reconciled, and you're thinking, well, you do all the work, it won't ever happen that way. You have to enter into it. It has to be something you do together. And then we know the relationship. You know when you know the relationship is really getting healed and restored and changed? Is when your heart begins to change towards that individual. Instead of seeing them and walking the other way and going, oh, I hope they don't see me, I hope they don't see me. No, all of a sudden now your, your heart is drawn to them because you begin to care again. You begin to see things from their perspective, though you may not agree with them. And you begin to pray for them. And you begin to care. And God changes your heart. And that's when you know reconciliation and restoration is, is in process. It's happening. God regularly restores. He heals. It's a work that he's really into. 
It's a work he does. And he can even restore lost years. He's an expert at cleaning up family messes. And if you fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about just to throw out an SOS prayer because life sucks right now. No, I'm talking about where you relinquish the control of your life into the God who is trustworthy and faithful, into the God who can restore, into the God who wants to heal. And if you'll relinquish control and say, God, forgive me for my sin and my selfishness, and I'm putting my trust in you and what you did on the cross, you see, then God will exchange your mess for his righteousness. And God will give you something that you could never earn on your own, and it's called the gift of his grace a gift of a new life. And I want to pray as we pray together right now that uh, maybe you would begin that process of relinquishing control. And for some of us, we, it starts with an honest conversation with somebody that we've been avoiding. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we want to say thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for initiating the reconciliation that we so needed in our lives but could never attain. The brokenness of our relationship with you, God, because of our sin, because of our mess, because of our selfishness. Lord, we didn't have fellowship with you and you came to this earth to reconcile us back to yourself. God, thank you for that. And Lord Jesus, I know that there are some, there's pain in this room. There's conflicts that are in this room represented. And there's family mess that, Lord, we're asking that you intervene. And I'm praying, God, that whoever it is where we have a conversation that needs to happen, an honesty, to lift guilt, to lift shame, to to be open and honest about something that we haven't yet done. Lord, would you give courage throughout the room to each one of us? Courage in our walk, courage in our choices, courage in the conversations that are yet to be had. And then we pray as well, Lord, God, would you also be at work healing, restoring, changing, even taking lost years, wasted years, selfish years, and redeeming and restoring what the enemy has stolen. Some of you are here this morning and there's regrets in your life as you look backwards and you know that some of the brokenness of your relationships today have to do with some choices that were made and God wants to tell you that he loves you. He wants to free you from that guilt. And he wants to do a new work in your life if you'll but surrender your heart to him. And if that's you, I'm going to pray with you and ask that you pray this along with me. Jesus, come into my life. Come into my heart. Lord God, I'm relinquishing the control, the control of my life into the God who I trust. And I'm asking God, you forgive me for my sin and God that you would Work in me something brand new. Lord, that you would redeem and restore lost years and set me on your path and bring healing to the full degree that it can be brought in every relationship, Lord, that 
that has been hurt. Just in this moment, if that was you, as we're still praying, would you just, as your response to God, would you just lift your hand to God? Say, yes, I prayed that prayer with you, Mike. Yeah, good. Good, good. Yes, Lord. Would you bless each one of these, God, who are reaching out to you this morning, relinquishing the control of their life? Lord, let it be a brand new start. Lord, let it be something that just surprises them in how you move in and you begin to redeem and restore things that they can't do on their own. And we pray, God, for each one of us that you would help us in the areas of our mess, in the areas of our families. And God, bring redemption, bring restoration, bring healing. And Lord, let it start with me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if today you opened up your heart to Jesus, it's the best decision you will have ever made. Love for you to tell us about that. There'll be people up here to pray with you, and you can come up and receive some prayer. We can get a Bible in your hands and help you grow in your walk with God. Scott Kilpatrick, our pastor uh, over here under this uh, monitor, will be with uh, just to hang out for four or five minutes with those of you who may be new. Love to meet you. And so go over and see Scott. And uh, let's uh, stand up. And uh, as you can see, Seahawks green. Let's do it today. Woohoo! Have a great day. Hey, next week is our last of this series. Make sure and bring a friend with you.